You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Okay, sing me something. Their mother sang a lullaby. You want me to sing? Yeah. I love to sing my kids to sleep. It's an intimate, quiet part of our day when it's just me and them. Carnegie Hall in New York understand the power of lullabies to bond a mother and child. They started the Lullaby Project in 2011, using lullabies to help teenage mothers connect with their babies. To date, they've worked with over 500 women. Composer Thomas Cabanis is the composer who started the Lullaby Project in a New York hospital back in 2011. He's on the phone now. Hi, Tom. How are you? Very well, thank you. Where did this idea come from? We had been working with some teenagers at Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx in the sort of northern part of New York City um, for a, a couple of years, and we had been working with kids who had chronic HIV. We were doing songwriting with them, doing these extended sort of songwriting residencies where kids wrote songs um, about their experiences. And um, it was, we had a, a, a great time doing that workshop, and we gave a concert at the hospital. And the day that we gave um, a, a concert, um, in the middle of the day, and all the folks from the hospital came, um, there was somebody from the obstetrics unit who um, heard the concert and loved it and said, you know, we have issues um, with uh, pregnant teens in our unit um, who have trouble attaching to their kids, especially um, just after birth. And so um, that really led us to begin experimenting with creating lullabies right there on the OB unit. And why lullabies in particular? Because, of course, there's lots of different songs you can sing to kids. There's nursery rhymes. There's, you know, really upbeat songs. Why did you choose this particular style of song to work with the mothers? Well, I think you said it at the beginning, right? It's about intimacy, and a lullaby is really um, a very intimate moment between a mother and child. It's a it's a private moment. Of course, it can be a it can be a grandmother or a father or a brother or a sister too. But a lullaby really is, you know, that idea of a child needing to be soothed and a mother or a father really coming forward with the solution with the idea of something that will help them um, feel calmer, maybe to go to sleep, but often maybe to connect. You were mentioning with the first project that you were doing with the kids in the Bronx, songwriting. So I'm assuming with songwriting you've got the lyrics and then you've got the melody or the tune. Explain to me how you looked at those two elements when it came to mothers connecting with their babies. Like, could we start with the lyrics? Because I imagine that that might be a stra- an easier place for most people to begin. Yeah, you know, and we do it both ways. I'll just say, you know, right off, it's, there's no one way of making a lullaby. But we did start, um, as you, you know, uh, your instinct told you, right? We, we started with words because we thought, um, one, um, that parents could prepare a little bit. They could write some things. They could experiment with words um, even before the musicians showed up to begin collaborating with them. So we thought there, it's a nice kind of um, a little bit of homework that you can do to get ready. And so words 
was a nice place to start uh, for that reason, too. But sometimes we do begin with um, a melody or with a musical idea, and often that's because we begin, usually our, begin our um, lullaby sessions with swaying, with moving, with humming, with singing, with sharing lullabies from our own childhoods or nighttime rituals that we had when we were young. So often out of that um, kind of communal music-making um, will emerge some kind of musical idea, and that musical idea might actually be the place to start. And then, then you're searching for the words or the syllables that might accompany that tune. When it comes to the words that you found the mothers were writing to their unborn children, it sounds like that's the, the first point of connection for them. Was it about imagining a future? I mean, was that part of your aim on allowing these women to connect with their babies and have a more kind of hopeful dreams for the future? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the exercises that we often do is we'll ask um, young parents to write a letter to their child, imagining that they are the age of the parents themselves. So if it's a, you know, 20-year-old, um, you know, young woman, she's writing a letter to her future child at that, actually, at that same age. And it's a very interesting exercise that, that um, really makes them kind of think um, in vision and think um, into the future. And often um, the, the kind of the hopes and the dreams that those parents might have for their children are in that letter. And um, we often find that that's a very rich place to kind of mine from, and we can, we can then draw some of those words and phrases and begin to knit together lyrics even before anybody's thought like, oh, now I need to write the words to a song. You're listening to Kindling Conversation, and I'm speaking with Thomas Cabanis, who's a composer with Carnegie Hall in New York. We're talking about the Lullaby Project, which started in 2011, and it was basically this. It's basically this idea of using lullabies to help teenage mothers connect with their babies. I'm wondering, Thomas, as well, with the actual music itself. I have heard that lullabies in a minor key can often be more soothing for babies. I'm wondering if naturally mothers sort of went that way with the melodies that they chose for their children. You know, I think what we find is that I, I'm not sure about the minor major key thing. You know, it's, it's true that often um, there are particular intervals or particular combination of, of sounds that, um, that do feel more soothing in a particular way. Um, but what we also find is that when the song comes out of a kind of uh, either a family or a cultural tradition, that often that's the thing that really resonates both for the parent and for the child, is that it's a way of inviting the child into um, a kind of, you know, a culture of music, of, um, of uh, poetry, and um, of life. And so when those things kind of resonate or, you know, kind of vibrate together, that seems to be the thing that where parents know, ooh, we've sort of hit the right note. Obviously, you worked closely, particularly in that pilot project back in 2011 with the women who were having babies. Was anything surprising for you? I mean, now that you've, as I mentioned, you've now worked with at least 500 women. That's a lot of women to work with. But were there any standouts for you in your experience with these women that really brought home what you were doing with them? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we were working in different settings. Um, in that first setting, we were in um, a hospital and working with pregnant teens. And one of the things that was true was that they were all facing a kind of social stigma in their high schools and among their peer group. And so what the Lullaby Project really did for them was to give them a group. They suddenly found that there were other um, you know, young women in their same situation. They were able to look across the circle, the lullaby circle, if you will, and find um, you know, real sympathy and understanding and connection. So we were there as the musicians to work with them and to make the songs. But I think in a funny way, the most powerful thing for them was being able to share their experience with other young women who were in, in their same circumstance. But you know, what's, what's interesting, too, is that when we went to incarcerated women, we're working with incarcerated women, um, like at Rikers Island, a prison um, in, in New York City, that was entirely different. Suddenly, we realized that the purpose of the lullaby was really clear for those women, that they were using the song as a way of apologizing to their children for the situation in which they found themselves, and to also promise that it would never happen again. Again, they're thinking about the future in a slightly different way because of the, the circumstance that they were in finding themselves behind bars. 2011, that's six years ago now, and as any parent knows, a lot can happen in six years. There's a lot of changes. Have you been able to follow up with any of the mothers and see how they're going now? Yes, we have, actually. It's very nice. You know, locally here in New York City, we've gotten into the custom now of performing um, an annual lullaby concert. And, you know, it's very different from any concert that you've ever been to because there are no ushers shushing everybody, right, or bringing the lights down. It's just babies. And so there's crying, <laughs> you know, during the concert, which is all, all totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a very interesting concert, but it allows us to kind of bring the alumni back. And so now you're exactly right. Now, the, you know, the kids are in kindergarten, um, some of them. And, uh, and, and so th- they're arriving and we're getting to see, you know, exactly how they've grown and developed. And often, especially those who come back to the concert each year, those are ones who, who use it. They've used the lullaby. So, you know, the children will even be able to sing back, you know, phrases from, from their lullabies too. It sounds like such a fantastic project. Um, where is it at now? Is this going to be a continuing thing for Carnegie Hall? Yeah, there's, you know, there's been a lot of interest in Lullaby, and so a couple of things are, are emerging that I think are interesting. One is that we've been looking for ways to, um, to scale it in, in a way that will actually allow us to do even more lullabies in the New York City area. So um, we've, we've gone to some really, really simple techniques of some one-on-one work using um, field recorders, like little handheld um, digital recorders that can, that can make very nice recordings, but on site rather than, you know, doing them in a recording studio or, or elsewhere. And, and we've actually been able to even sort of, you know, distill the process a little bit more so that if someone has limited time, um, we can, we've, we're learning to work even more quickly to create that lullaby, but still doing all the things that we've always done in terms of posting them on SoundCloud, making them available to the mothers so that they can share them, not only with their family, but even you know, because of the digital space, right, you can share things internationally, which is very exciting, especially for people who are refugees or immigrants to the United States. 
<clears throat> you know, can play those songs for the people back home, which is really interesting. And, and the other thing that's emerging is that we're going to make a recording with a lot of celebrity, big-name stars <laughs> who have fallen in love with the Lullaby Project and have selected some of their favorites from our project to record. And that'll come out in, in the United States. We have Mother's Day um, in uh, May. And so it'll come out May of 2018. So we're really excited about that, too. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was Thomas Cabanis. He's a composer with Carnegie Hall, and he was talking about the Lullaby Project, which has been going on since 2011. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.